Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. We are a part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing all right, uh, Bob. We're recording a little later than usual, so I've had a couple of drinks. Feeling pretty good. Oh, I thought you sounded a little loose. Yeah, let me just, <laughs> let me just say, guys, that this is one of the only podcasts where we cover an episode of DS9 and an episode of B5. We're probably the greatest co- podcast to cover both at the same time. You're not going to find I mean, other podcasts out there like this. No, uh, no offense to the other podcasts out there. I would say we're the greatest podcast that talks about either Babylon Five or Star Trek. I've listened to our competitors, Matt. They ain't shit. No, not really. No, no, no don't, don't, don't come anywhere close to us. We've, we've got it made I mean, here. You know, sometimes we do things I'm ashamed of. I'm deeply ashamed of that uh, Batman episode we put out a few weeks ago. But still, even even on our worst day, can't touch this. Yeah. It's good stuff, Bob. This is really good stuff. The content must flow, dog. The content <laughs> must flow. Yeah, yeah. So you're 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 a little lit, and uh, I'm actually not sleepy because normally we record these starting at seven a.m. my time. That's what you get for living over in a uh, libtown. <laughs> I don't know how the liberalism of my town, which is more, uh, is is sort of imaginary in a certain sense. Uh, I, I, I believe me, being homeless in a liberal town is no better than being homeless in a conservative town. But I don't, I don't know what the liberalism of, uh, of my town has to do with my early hours, but nonetheless. Trust me, it all, it all comes out in the end, Bob. All right, so let's talk about these episodes, Bob. We've got Day in the Strife, which is yeah, our B5 like episode. Pun, Matt? Do you like that pun? I do. I, I, I appreciate that little pun there. It's November 20th, 1995 is when it debuted. Yeah, it's a season three, episode three of Babylon Five, and then why don't you tell us what we got for season four, episode four, of DS Nine, Matt? Yeah, we've got Hippocratic Oath, Bob. And if you're not familiar yeah. with the Hippocratic Oath, is that some do with doctors? Yep. Do, first of all, do no harm, dog. Uh, so that's the 16th of October, 1995. You want to walk us through that a plot on Day in the Strife? That's right, Bob. Uh, a plot. We have a nefarious alien probe presents the station with a pop intelligence quiz where if they fail it will be blown up boom and then in the b plot we've got nafar the new narn representative from the centauri backed provisional government arrives to replace jakar but before he can replace jakar he has to report to sheridan then mullah ari and then he delivers an ultimatum to the families of the narns on stage or to the not he delivers an ultimatum concerning the families of the narns on station there we go yeah, nice correction, Bob. Nice correction. Doing it on the fly, Matt. Doing it on the fly. Then we actually have a C plot, Bob. Garibaldi. Oh, we got a D sta- plot too, motherfucker. Yeah, this is a big. This is a big episode. Garibaldi stages an intervention over pasta on Franklin's stim usage. Yeah, yeah, definitely the best part of the episode. Definitely. Um, and then in the D plot, Malari tries to get Kato reassigned to Mimbar to spare him the soul killing of imperial politics. Yeah, so much going on in this episode. Uh... Some of it was good, some of it wasn't so great, Bob, but let's just go ahead and start from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, so we start off with a transport called the Dionysus, uh, which is the Greek god of wine and frenzy and madness, uh, which makes for an interesting comparison in a couple of senses, both because, you know, you have a very Apollonian uh, quiz from the alien probe about intelligence, proportion, balance, all that good stuff, and then also, you know, given that Garibaldi is a, you know, a recovering alcoholic, always, always interesting to bring up Dionysus in response to him. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really catch that. I'm, I'm glad you did. Did not catch yeah, that at all. Yeah. 
So, have you ever heard of a Welsh science fiction writer named Alastair Reynolds? No, I've never heard of that guy. He's really good. You'd like him. Uh, he's got a series called uh, Revelation Space that deals with similar concepts to the probe. Not exactly, and I am, to be honest, like handled a lot better in Alastair Reynolds uh, than on this episode of Babylon 5, but still kind of similar concepts of like older alien species using using AI and probes uh, in a sort of potentially genocidal way. It's a cool series. Yeah, do you think it's weird this probe, you know, comes to Babylon 5 and the types of questions it's asking are like ridiculous like they're so difficult that they have to send back all the questions to earth so that specialists on earth can figure out what they're what can solve them yeah it's the cutting edge of uh, earth science although I guess it does point out that one of the big things that Babylon 5 lacks as compared to Star Trek is the you know the kind of computer system because you always sort of get the uh, sense in Star Trek that the computer is pretty much up to date with almost everything that the Federation knows. Not really so much the case in Babylon 5. Yeah, if this was like redone today, they would just be Googling all the answers. I mean, that'd be about the end of it. <laughs> or there'd be like a message board website dedicated to all the answers. And like you would have to like, every, anyone could answer that they wanted to, but they'd have to like rank them. Like which was yeah. the best answer to send? Which is in the when the one with the most votes gets sent? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's even more dystopian uh, than it already was. So you, since we're already sort of on the topic, Matt, I guess I'll pose the moral dilemma to you: Would you have transmitted the answers to the probe, or would you not have transmitted the answers to the probe? Uh, I mean, I probably the more I thought about it, I probably inaction seems to be the best option. So not transmitting. I mean, I probably just would have ignored it to begin with. Just be like, oh, there's just a probe like floating out up there. I'd be that dude like sitting there staring out the window going, what's that? What's that thing want? Or, like, we're getting a transmission, but I don't know how to intercept it. So, uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, then it just yeah. go about its business. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's literally what would have happened. I mean, I, de I definitely will say I'm not sure what I would have done in the scenario, but I, uh, I generally take inaction to be the, my principle in life. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and agree with that. Inaction is, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite uh, lines from The Wire, actually, where uh, Lieutenant Daniel's wife, although maybe he's like a captain or something at that point. Oh, man, there's a lady in a, in a hot dress drinking uh, from an open bottle of wine and she walks down my street. Very nice. Does she look like Girardi? Um, with my blinds, it was kind of hard to see her hair, but no, it looked like very brown and fritzy, unlike Gerardi's kind of blonde straight hair. Okay. That was a little spoiler for you guys for this episode's, uh, this week's episode of Picard. <laughs> <laughs> well, even though they'll hear, they'll literally hear the episode of Picard today, probably, while they won't hear this episode for weeks, but so it goes, so it goes. <laughs> True. Where, where, where were we? I, I got uh, distracted by uh, people gazing. Jesus, Bob. You need to take a little break here for a minute, give you a good 15 minutes to just get this out of your system and come back. <laughs> I mean, I, more like 15 seconds, man. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh, 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 inaction. inaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. My favorite, uh, my favorite line from The Wire, Lieutenant Daniel's wife, although maybe he's a captain at that point in the series, but Lieutenant Daniel's wife, turns to him and says, you cannot lose if you do not play. Hey, you should do like the most Seattle thing ever, Bob, and go outside your, like, open up your door, just holler and be like, hey, hey, girl, you want to be on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, Watch these two episodes of Star Trek and Babylon 5. <laughs> get back to me. <laughs> and we'll, call, we'll call you on the next one. <laughs> well, for a minute, I was really going to fault you uh, for your cultural imperialism, Matt, because uh, 
this is, uh, this, you know, even though this uh, town sucks to be homeless in and it's completely in hock to the real estate industry, despite what Republicans might tell you, um, still po pointing towards the direction you were saying that Seattle is liberalville, yeah, you can't be catcalling women in Seattle. That, 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 that won't fly. So I was going to say, well, Matt, that would, that would actually not be a very Seattle thing at all to catcall the woman. That would be me getting back to my Southern roots. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably have like my shirt open and have a beer in my hand. But then when you added the, hey, girl, do you want to be on a podcast? You then brought it back around. And yes, that would be the most Seattle thing yeah. ever to ask. Yeah. You left out, if you're doing the Southern thing, you have to have some chew in your mouth or some dip. <laughs> Yeah, unlike my unlike my dad, my grandfather, my younger brother, and uh, and my male cousins, Matt, I'm a pussy, and I I could do tobacco any other way. I could never chew it. I yeah. rubbed it on my gums. I've smoked it every way you can smoke it, but I I can never chew it. Well, as someone who's only lived in the South, I, I've never done it, so I, I can't really say that I'm you know I'm for it either. But <laughs> it would you fit know, the stereotype. I, I never gave you like any of the like real snuff, not like chew snuff. No, no. And I oh, probably shit. wouldn't you do get, it. You get powder snuff and you you uh, you can snort it or you can rub it on your gum. It's good shit. Yeah. That sounds like, like those stems that Franklin's taking, Bob. I mean, no, because I'm not a degenerate. <laughs> Just like a little tobacco in my nose, Matt. That's, yeah. I, I don't. I don't see how you're making that connection. You're addicted, Bob. You are addicted. I literally haven't done snuff like <laughs> nasal stuff in twenty fucking years, dog. Yeah, just like Franklin said, he wasn't taking stems to Garibaldi. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm trying to help <laughs> you, ever, Bob. Did I ever tell you about the first cigarette I had? No. Uh, I stole it from my old man. I think when I was twelve or thirteen. But I don't know if you know this, but my old man smoked like the most dog shit cigarettes in the world. Like he got <laughs> basics and I, it made, it like nearly made me ill. And I, so I think I had that when I was like 12 or 13 and I didn't smoke another cigarette. I think till I was like 17, it was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cigs are not fun, honestly. Like I've, yes, they I've, are. Just I've not, my, a... not my dad's basics. My I, dad's I, basics I, are not fun. <laughs> I never get anything from him. I mean, I, I've smoked a couple of times, but it's just like, eh, doesn't do much for me. I'm just kind of. The key so, is you got to be double fisting. You got to have a drink and you got to be having a cigarette and you got to be sitting uh, outside arguing with somebody. Yeah, yeah the social do. piece, you have to have that. If you're just sitting at home smoking cigarettes, it's just not the same thing. No, the, la the last time I was home, I, uh, I, I bought some cigarettes and uh, smoked them with my dad as we went to visit uh, his aunt who might've had COVID and I'd heard that tobacco <laughs> lowered your chances of getting COVID. So I was well, like, there you go. well, might as well do that. I'm not going to wear a mask, but I will smoke a few cigarettes. Bob had like dip in both cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no COVID's getting. Yeah. COVID, son. <laughs> All right. Back on subject, Bob, back on subject. So, so we do, speaking of uh, small town politics, we do see Sheridan and Ivanova run afoul of both small business owners and gun owners because they're increasing weapon screenings, uh, which is slowing commercial transport. Uh, and so all this is an attempt to answer your uh, incessant, inveterate complaints about security on the Babylon 5 station. Yeah, there's such a difficult balance between like commerce and safety, Bob. Uh, Babylon 5 seems to suck at both of them, so just good job, Babylon say, 5. As long as small business owners and gun owners are angry, probably the policy is good. That's my general, <laughs> that's my general belief. I mean, this place is just constantly 
in a state of danger. I, I don't know why anyone would want to even remain on the station, well, but whatever. Remember, Matt, the, uh, the what happened to the four, the first four Babylon stations. Yeah, exactly. People, I think the people of this, like, in this universe or whatever are just insane for even considering being anywhere near a Babylon station. Uh, hey, man, they got they got uh, Jinxo on station. They're good. <laughs> Actually, they don't. He left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jinxo left, Bob. So, yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're fucked. It, exactly. Exactly. Right. So we get this character that comes back, Bob. His name is Talon. And he what was... What could that be referencing, Matt? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in a an episode... He was in the All Alone in the Night, which is the one where Sheridan was yeah. abducted by the Greys. Yeah. Yeah, season and, two episode where the Greys get shared and and yeah. they also got they had also gotten Talon. Yeah, the main thing about this character is that he is a Narn who carries a sword on his back. He's like a nineties ninja. Very much, very much. Yeah. And he swears an oath to Sheridan to protect him, which reminded me so much. Uh did you ever see Robin Hood Prince of Thieves? I never did, because, uh, you know, my parents uh, cared about my development and wouldn't let me watch rated R movies, Matt, unlike you. That movie was rated PG-13. That wasn't rated oh, R. Yes. Uh, I thought it was rated R. Your my parents bad. wouldn't let you watch PG-13 movies. They let you watch no, they, they wouldn't let me watch uh, Batman. Uh, they, they broke on Batman Returns, but they wouldn't let me watch Batman for the longest time. That's insane, because Batman Returns is way worse than Batman <laughs> when it comes to, like, violence. Uh in, anyway, but yeah, it, the him Azim from that from that uh, movie played by Morgan has, Freeman. More, right? Yeah, does the exact same like same idea. You got that get that protection oath. Very kind of. I mean, it's a very kind of Orientalist trope, right? Because I mean, this the Narn have a few cultural influences, but they do seem pretty heavily influenced by like you know Middle Eastern cultures and the Islamic religion. So it's, it's kind of like a Orientalist vibe to all this of the the noble Middle Eastern warrior who swears his oath of fidelity to a white man. Right. Nazim was Muslim, so. So it goes, so it goes. One thing that kind of annoyed me about this episode was there was a lot of, like, weird emotionalism. Like, and, you know, Babylon 5 is a pretty melodramatic show, so there's a lot of emotions, you know, flying high, riding around. But this seems particularly weird, this episode. So you have Jakar willing to just trade himself to the Centauri. seemed very stupid. Because, like, clearly the Centauri are still going to mess with the families of people on station. Like, there's no avoiding that. Um, then uh, Ivanova really takes personally Sheridan's comment about her pessimism. And then the thing I thought was the weirdest, like, I got that they were trying to go for, oh, Dr. Franklin, he's he's got stem rage. He's out of control. But actually him getting angry at that Earth doctor who was being inefficient was perfectly legitimate. And, like, it was a good thing that he was doing. So, like... You know, you probably should have written that scene a little differently if you wanted to have like, oh, Franklin's uh, having stem rage. He's flying off the handle for no reason. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Franklin going off on that doctor was perfectly okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as Franklin knows and as far as that doctor knows, like that that doctor's inefficiency might literally get the station destroyed. So exactly. Like, it was perfectly appropriate level of anger. Yeah, they're just they're just sitting on Earth, being all like, "Oh, I got nothing to do, out of sight, out of mind." And yeah, but he was he was totally like, uh, he just wanted that doctor to to answer the damn question. Of, like, it's like they gave him a test too. Like, they gave him a bunch. It wasn't it was thousands of questions, right? It was. Like, how long does that really take to go through and like figure out the answers to? If you've got if you can send the whole thing to Earth, I mean, it, it blows my mind. Screw that doctor. 
Dr. Franklin was right. I would have been irritated too, even without my stems. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a it's a good thing uh, Papa's got his uh, special juice over there to keep him calm. So it's a well, but I, I think the whole point of the, I think the whole point of the emotional stuff, though, Bob, is that they're just trying to show that everyone on is on edge. Like everyone on the station is, is yeah, on you're, edge. You're right, Matt. It's my bad. I forgot the name of the episode is A Day in the Strife. That's right, Bob. Everyone is on edge. Everyone has these emotional issues that we have to solve in the 45 minutes. I would say as a uh, as a final thought on the episode, I really wish uh, Viracata would have just stayed on Minbar forever. Yeah, I thought the dude was leaving. This is like the third or fourth time they've like talked about him leaving the station. Remember like that earlier episode where they were going to reassign him to... Uh, uh, oh yeah. yeah yeah and he didn't do it then either it? Yeah. yeah yeah it's like make up your damn mind either keep right, him or Matt, let him pop go. quiz pop quiz if you answer wrong i'll blow you up who's oh, worse shit. uh kato or kiefer oh uh kiefer for sure nah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go kato dog oh sorry Click. oh well <laughs> i'm just saying well okay well who's worse kiefer or uh the new ranger dude uh, what's his name the guy oh, i already don't like Mar- marcus marcus beats both yeah yeah marcus is the okay dude. well i agree with you on that then because marcus is oh, terrible so bear bear this in mind so i would agree that like toe-to-toe in season two kiefer is worse than kato but imagine if kiefer had stayed on the show for three more seasons do you still think he would have been worse than Kato? Because, like, Kato's going to be bad for three more seasons. I mean, I'll probably end up hating Kato more as the show goes on, is what you're saying. As of right now, I'm still coming off a second okay. season, yeah. and Kiefer was terrible then, so he's my yeah. worst. And I'm being well, introduced to Marcus, so I'm kind of just... I bet he, I bet what you're going to do is you're going to wind up thinking that Kato, like Rom, is not that bad. And you don't even really think that. You just want to trigger me. That's my... <laughs> I don't think Rom is that bad. I understand why his character's on the station. Liar. <laughs> <We're> good. <laughs> All right, well, anything else about this episode of B5, Bob, before we move on to DS9? No, no, speaking of the worst character on the show, I guess we should go ahead and transition to DS9. <laughs> yeah. So, walk us through that A-plot, Matt? Yeah, we got this Bashir episode. <laughs> Bashir and O'Brien crash on a, gamma qua- on a Gamma Quadrant planet, I guess is what you want to put there, to find a group of Jem'Hadar trying to wean themselves off Ketracel white addiction. So just like on B5, they're addicted to those stems. Addicted to that drug, Ketracel. Now, the B-plot, Bob, what do we have? We got a wharf questioning Odo's policy vis-a-vis Quark. Vis-a-vis Quark, yes. Yeah, indeed. And I would say uh, Quark had a Technicolor tunic uh, that looked very on point, very fancy this week. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't know if we see that again. We need to keep a a, a, a look on a look for that in the next couple yeah. episodes. Quark, Quark I, fashion watch. Because I only Quark. remember certain episodes. Like I only remember certain outfits he wears. Yeah. Like yeah. on a picture of my brain, it's the same outfit every time. So, so t- definitely, Quark's definitely the best dressed person on station, and Jake's definitely the worst dressed person on station, right? Oh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of easy because almost everybody else is in a uniform, but still. Yeah, right. It's hard yeah. to judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the person who's the worst dressed uh, right above Jake is Worf, because, uh, man, he does not look good in a red uniform. No, I never really dug Worf in the red. I, I don't. This doesn't fit him. That's yeah. That's why I kind of appreciated it when they switched uniforms. Like I guess it's either the next season or whenever First Contact came out. I think it's season five. Yeah, you don't notice it as much because the red is just kind of you know it's not as 
prominent. Yeah, it's the it's the undershirt, uh, yeah, right? The kind of gray over over thing in the stuff. Yeah, place. yeah, and you don't notice it as much, but yeah, with these uniforms, it's like eh, it doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah. So was Kira macking on Worf, Matt? Oh yeah, I think they were gonna set up like this uh, eventual plot where you have like Worf, Kira, and Odo in this triangle type thing. Never took off. Yeah, that would have been that would have been interesting. So not only does Worf think Odo's bad at his job, he's uh, he's trying to uh, romance Still's girl. Kira. You yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. See, I could I should have written this shit. <laughs> well, why were you why weren't you calling my number, guys? Huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it I think it's because you were eight, Matt. So. <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, that's that was true. very white trash boy response. I like that. That was good. Yeah, that was yeah you're good. welcome. You're welcome. All right. So next up, we got your favorite part of the episode, which was O'Brien and Bashir are psychoanalyzing O'Brien's domestic squabbles with Keiko. Uh, but it, it's already very funny. But then it veers into very homoerotic territory, which is also very funny. But sadly, Miles just can't admit his true feelings to Julian. Oh my gosh, yeah. After I watched that first scene, Bob, I had to text you like during it uh, because it was just like way too much. Like I was watching it and uh, I was just like, I could just feel it. If you ever want any evidence that Bashir is at least, at the very least, by, just watch the beginning of this episode. It's yeah, there. Because usually when Garrick cruises him, Bashir just seems confused. Like he doesn't seem. He, you know, he seems into it, but he just seems confused. But here, he seems like he's been taking notes from the Master Garrick, and he he looks very sly. <laughs> so exactly. Bashir was playing the part of Garrick in this first scene. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, was was, it was great. Yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, taste, uh, of sexual taste, um, so do you think Worf is like a voyeur like Robert Pattinson Batman? <laughs> Yeah, Worf is like a freak, like Pattinson and Batman, and he's like trying to be like the Batman of DS Nine, like some kind of vigilante who's handling this shit during his downtime. You know, trying to yeah. I really wanted, uh, I really wanted Cisco to demand Worf's uh, badge and gun at some point because he just went rogue, like a '90s action movie hero. Yeah, he needs to go back to operations, making like schedules and shit, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they do. I don't even know what they do if they're not the commander. Like I don't. <laughs> I believe Worf's title is a strategic operations officer, which, if you know what that means, uh, good on you, because I, sh- I sure have no idea. Yeah, it sounds like he's making like the schedules for who has to be where and when. Strategically. Strategically, yes. <laughs> so that everyone gets equal hours off, equal hours on. Yeah, it's kind of like the weird thing that I, I don't think we've really seen yet, where Jadzia kind of moves from being the science officer to being the con officer, which is something that always kind of annoyed me. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't understand what the science officer was supposed to do anyway on the station. I mean, it's... I, there was a lot of science in the first few seasons, Matt. You remember Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, there's all kinds of science going on. It's just solving science problems. I don't, worry, they don't need a science officer. I've always thought of her as like, man, just man. like... They don't need Matt's a damn going, science Matt's officer going, on this show. going full Republican over here. Defund uh, the NEH. Defund the NES. Defund yeah. NPR. They're not exploring they anything. They're not even exploring the damn uh, Gamma Quadrant. I mean, <laughs> they don't do... Literally, Bashir and O'Brien are exploring the fucking Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, and where's Dax? Episode. Where's Dax? Yeah, On exactly. the station. She's too busy being the con On the station. On the station. Look, man, gardening. they already, they already <laughs> got one person in a green uniform there. Two would be too many. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So yeah, so uh, yeah. you know when they're on the when they're on the planet, Bashir really wants to help these Jem'Hadar 
get over their addiction, which is why it's called the Hippocratic Oath, okay? Because the doctors are supposed to help no matter what the what political issues going on or what side of the war they're on or whatever, correct? Is that is that my understanding? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So did you go with Bashir on this one or O'Brien? Um, I definitely went with Bashir on this debate because the debate is basically that, yeah, Bashir wants to take steps to... Uh, to help mitigate the addiction uh, to the white among the Jem'Hadar, whereas O'Brien doesn't. O'Brien, I think O'Brien's reasons for not wanting Bashir to do this don't really make any sense. Like O'Brien's, like, what if they're even, uh, what if they're even more dangerous than the Dominion? And it's like, I don't know, man. That doesn't seem very likely, considering that the Dominion's already an existential threat to uh, the Federation. It would seem like you know, anything that would rob the Dominion of their foot soldiers would actually potentially be to the Federation's advantage. And yeah, so I, both just because of general medical ethics and because I thought uh, O'Brien's objections about helping the Jim Hadar really didn't make any sense, I, I definitely sided with Bashir on this one. Let's see how the opposite about I'm going with O'Brien on this one because O'Brien gets tortured every season. He's never been tortured by the Jim Hadar? I don't know. They all look the same to me. I don't know. Get, get a few glasses in, and you're just getting all kinds of speciest. Cardassian, Jim Hadar, uh, who else has tortured him? Klingons. Yeah, I think pretty sure the Jim Hadar have, t- have tortured him at some point. They they might in the future, but I don't think they have to this oh, point. Oh, well, I'm just telling you, O'Brien gets tortured every season. He doesn't want it to continue, so he fights back. That's the whole thing. Okay. But, but it just doesn't make any sense. Like that. Okay. Like. All right, Bob. It being addicted to that drug is a weakness. They know their weakness. Yes. So they need to keep that weakness. If they fix that weakness, then the Jim Hadar do not have a weakness anymore, and therefore they are more difficult to defeat. But the Jim Hadar, like, the weakness is being used by the founders to control the Jim Hadar. Without the weakness, the founders can no longer control the Jim Hadar. Now, maybe the Jim Hadar will go berserker mode. I don't know that we have any evidence pro or con that but okay for sake of argument the jim hadar go berserker mode uh, other other than that whole other than that whole episode okay i'll I'm gonna let you finish <laughs> but the threat of the dominion is not just uh it's not just oh the jim hadar it's the jim hadar plus the founders who can infiltrate you at will and manipulate you and so the jim hadar on their own apart from the founders yes still a threat but not as dire a threat as they are as the dominion so it would seem like getting rid of uh, the Jim Hadar's addiction and the founder's control of them is most likely going to benefit the Federation. I'm saying that we had a whole episode dedicated to the Jim Hadar showing us like how they grow up into big people from yes. a little kid to adult. And you saw how crazy ass that thing was. But if they can over if they can overcome their genetic predisposition to uh, catch or sell light addiction, Potentially, they can overcome their genetic predisposition to other things as well. And again, <laughs> like even if they go berserker mode, like okay, that's not good. But neither is the the Dominion's already about to conquer the Alpha Quadrant. So like I, you know, it's like not like things are going to get much worse. Damn, Bob. But I'm just saying, Bashir's is Bashir's still stuck though in that that Wild West medicine mindset that was introduced Frontier all the way medicine. back in emissary Frontier, whatever it's called, that was in emissary. And I think that he wants to cure the, the Jim Hadar from their addiction so that so that he can be medically renowned for the one who did it. I don't think it has anything to do with him really wanting to help these people. I think he's full of himself. 
Well, this is this is where you're the real liberal, Matt, because you think intentions <laughs> matter. I don't think it matters why Bashir wants to cure the Jemadar. I just think it matters that he ought to because he's bound by his oath to do so. And any doctor um, ought to cure the Jemadar. It doesn't matter if they want to sleep with some girl who's going to be impressed by it or if they're going to do it because they don't like O'Brien and they know the uh, cure Jemadar will torture O'Brien. It doesn't matter the reason. Any doctor would be compelled to cure the Jemadar in the same circumstance. Yeah, I'm just glad O'Brien shot up his shit. I'm glad he did it. Thank you, O'Brien. Man, yeah, that's uh, that's messed up. Uh, I although I do think that the, the debate is deeply stupid, and the writers should have like you know taken a couple more passes on it to make it make a little more sense. Um, I do appreciate like how it's kind of shown as straining Bashir and O'Brien's relationship, and especially the fact that Bashir has to kind of resort to pulling rank on O'Brien. That, I, I thought that was all well done, even though the actual oh. debate wasn't necessarily very well done. That that was a very powerful scene. It's probably the best performance we've seen out of uh, Sadig since the yeah. And since we haven't the first really mentioned we haven't really mentioned him, but I would say that the the main Jim Hadar who has beaten the white addiction, who's trying to be, who's trying to help the uh, his you know his soldiers get over it, uh, Goran Agar. I thought he was a pretty fun character, and I especially enjoyed how he mobilized the Jim Hadar's existing resentments against the Vorta to try and get them off the white. I thought that was very very clever. So let's shift back to Worf for a second. This is at the end of the episode, I really enjoyed seeing Worf unable to get comfortable in his new role and like totally yeah. fucking up Odo's sting operation. That yeah, was a great it, it scene. Is, it is funny <laughs> to see Worf uh, screw up. Uh, you know, in, in Next Generation, you just see powerful aliens toss Worf around. In DS9, I don't think he ever gets tossed around, but you see him keep making mistakes and it's very funny. It's very fun. All right, so anything else about this episode, Bob, before we hit our character no, of the man. week? Who was your character of the week? Character of the week, Bob, goes to Bashir. That's a very respectable choice, very respectable choice. Even I, though I, dis I disagree with him to some degree, great, great character-building yeah. episode for Bashir. Good performances from both uh, Siddig and uh, Colmini. I think I would give it to Odo just because I really enjoyed how cranky uh, Odo got at Worf uh, messing with his stuff. But yeah, good episode all around for those guys. Yeah, and he... And he shape-shifted into a latinum bar, which is pretty cool, too. <laughs> I mean, could, could you arrest him for counterfeiting? Yeah, that, well, it's probably the worst next step in the, in the process. <laughs> He's like, step one, arrest Odo yeah. for counterfeiting. <laughs> step two, ask Kira out. Exactly, you got it. That's the worst plan. All right, what was your episode of the week, Matt? Goes the day in the strife. Just just good episode. So many good, good, good subplots. Yeah, none of us thought at all about um, having a Babylon 5 character as character of the week, but we still both easily went with the Babylon 5 episode as the episode of the week. Why do you think that was? I don't feel like anybody really stood out in those episodes because there was everyone yeah. was there was a little bit of everybody in it. It wasn't a character centric episode like yeah. we've seen before. Yeah, and I if I had to give it, if I was going to give it to a character of the week for that episode, it would be uh, Sheridan probably just because mm -hmm. of the, the choice he makes. But no. You just really like seeing gun owners and small business owners yell at Sheridan. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, I don't know. I think like the highs of um, Hippocratic Oath were a lot higher than this week's Babylon 5 episode. But the uh, yeah, I, th I thought the actual debate Bashir and O'Brien were having was somewhat forced. And so... In that sense, I guess I would say that Day in the Strife, um, you know, kind of maintains a kind of more even level of quality. Yeah, it's it was a good it was a good week all, all around though, Bob. 
Both episodes were great. Good, yeah, good, good sci-fi TV. Good week, good week. Um, I'm still going to be really curious if there's a certain point in season four where you're either going to be like, that was cool, or you're going to be like, God damn it, Bob, why did you make me watch this fucking show, Babylon 5? Uh, but until we get to that point, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying that uh, you're enjoying Babylon 5. Yeah, it's a long way away, Bob. It's a long way away. All right, then. All right. So this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. We are part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.